Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I'm Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast. We have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, today, we're going to be talking about sort of a uh, well, we hope to maybe be a relevant topic. Maybe you've seen or heard about this documentary. What? What? Where is it on? It's on Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. Yep. So it's an Amazon original or whatever yep. unique to that streaming platform. Shiny happy people. Right. It's a documentary documenting the. I don't know if it's the rise and fall of the Duggars as much as it's just the fall of the Duggars and sort of some of the part of it. Yeah. I mean, like, part of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Cameron has watched all of it. I'm familiar with a fair amount of the material that's probably in there, but not some of the details perhaps. Right. I would say that the documentary is as much about the IBLP, the Institute for basic life principles mm-hmm. and the, what is described as a parachurch ministry of Bill, a man named Bill Gothard, mm-hmm. and those who essentially follow those life principles and yep. there's certain features to their lives and families and faith yep. that are pretty distinguishable. Yep. Uh, but the poster child, so to speak, or the poster family for the IBLP. <laughs> poster family, yeah was the Duggars, Mm -hmm. is the Duggars, maybe, I don't know. know. And whether or not you, like, ever watched the 19 Kids and Counting or... What was that on, TLC? TLC. Yeah. And then all of the fallout from what happened with their oldest son, Josh, and this documentary kind of comes out of... yeah all that stream of things. Yeah. So probably like upfront, it's worth saying one, if you're like, hold up, I don't want any spoilers for this documentary that, you know, you don't, you want to watch it without any sort of like spoilers or whatever, like, um, warning spoilers, spoilers. Um, Although there's nothing really, yeah, I don't know. As much as a documentary yeah. of of recent events can be spoiled for you, right. um, you know, I mean, I guess like if you're super, super, like you 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 were not involved or you didn't know any of that stuff while it was happening, it might be all brand new news to you, and you might want to sit down and just watch the documentary. But or you um, might not, or you might not. Like we're not necessarily endorsing or recommending. The, oh, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the other bit is that the documentary does deal with like like topics of abuse, um, sex, and other things of sensitive topics and things like that. Yes. So we don't have like planned out exactly what we're going to say or we're going to talk about, but it's fair to say since the documentary deals with some of that, that that will possibly at least probably come up in some of our conversation. Yep. Um, so if you're listening with kids or you're not prepared, at the moment to listen to a conversation that might result revolve around some of those topics, like maybe come back to this or skip this episode if you feel like that's not a good space for you. So right, right, yep, yeah. I would. I, I think I would start out by saying that I have really mixed feelings towards documentaries like this in general. Yeah. So. 
I haven't watched it. Well, I watched about 15 minutes of it. And uh, go ahead and finish your thought because I have a I have a larger thing about documentaries that I just want to say. Right. This is a framing tool. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily like watching things like this or think that they're particularly helpful mm-hmm. in actually either clarifying or working through some of the issues and situations that they present. Uh, it's the same with like the Hillsong documentary. Yes. That's out. Which I did watch that. One. I did not watch that one. Yeah. And I don't know if it was intentional or non-intentional that I didn't watch it. I don't know, but there's this, there's a sense in me where I feel like because some of these documentaries run pretty parallel to a lot of the life that I live, you know, faith and the church and scripture and family and Mm -hmm. all of that, that I want to watch them to get a sense of what the conversation is around it. Mm -hmm. Certainly not that I'm like, you know, I, I think that part of the problem I don't know if it's a problem. Part of the thing with documentaries that I don't particularly like is that they, on the front end, uh, communicate implicitly an unbiased perspective Mm -hmm. on the issues at hand. Yes. Like these are just the facts. Right. You decide – you decide in, in, at the end how to paint the picture. Yeah. But the reality is, is like documentaries are really creative storytelling. Yes. That has an aim and has a bias and wants to lead the viewer to the place of the yeah. conclusion. Now, I'm not saying that's not to say. That like, oh, there's too much bias in this particular documentary and I don't believe it. I don't – like I said, I'm not I'm not an apologist for the IBLP. I'm not an apologist for the Duggars. Like, right. Yeah, it's like it's – some of the stuff is disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and – but I also want to be aware when I watch things like this, which is why I both like – I'm interested because it runs parallel with my life, but I I I dislike watching it because it's very clearly yeah. slanted in a direction usually skipping over like skipping across the surface of deeply deeply nuanced issues. Yes. Yep. And then so if you're if you're not really entrenched in the issues, it's impossible to have a unbiased conclusion. You just kind of take hook, line, and sinker, whatever the documentary Mm -hmm. producers want you to see or believe. Would you put um, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast in a similar category of like documentary? Obviously, different medium. It's audio interviews, but... Do you feel like this falls in line with that, with kind of this similar thing? 
I absolutely do. Yeah. Except that podcast, I I mean, we could talk a long time mm-hmm. about that podcast, and I have a lot of strong feelings about it. Mainly because I think that, like, I was hopeful in episode number one that was, this yeah. was going to be a deeply helpful thing for the church. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that it kind of felt to me at the end that this was just a giant witch hunt. Yeah. At the end, there was, I, the, the first couple episodes, I was, I was very hopeful that they were going to dive into some nuanced, mm-hmm. difficult uh, explanations because the opening mission of it is to, again, we're not trying to make this whole episodes about this podcast, but the idea was to make it, you know, why do churches or why do our churches keep being plagued with leadership issues like this one that is typified in the Mars Hill? Right. Where, uh, that answer. What is it about church culture that creates this type of upswell? Right. And that that question at the end is left largely unexplored, in my opinion, and is ends up being more of a detailing the air, dirty laundry of uh, of a particular church. Yeah, and a particular person. Yeah, really. I mean, it's it does translate out to the church and it the does. elders and there, those who does. protected him right. and everything like that. And again, I'm not a Marcel apologist and I'm not right. a like, Mark, I'm not a Mark Driscoll apologist right. either. Like not, I, not advocating. No, not but, at all. But again, frustrated that there was nuance that was just correct. Left very, very interesting questions that were left very unanswered or unexamined. Um, so I, I, I personally have felt um, since, Particularly since, like, you know, people can kind of argue with, like, because uh, when we say documentary, right, we think of, you probably think of a documentary that you saw, like, in, I don't know, high school. David Attenborough. David Attenborough, like, yeah. World War II. The lion. Right? The lion. On the planes. <laughs> yeah, 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 the nature documentary, yeah, uh-huh. right? And documentaries at one point had this philosophy behind them, right? The idea of trying to be um, as much as possible a uh, unbiased observer, right? Try and tell the story as it presents itself and and not try to add interpretive lenses to it, right? And that was at one point the philosophy behind most people who made documentaries. Now, you can argue as to how well they ever actually accomplished that because the moment you turn on a, a, a video camera, things are going to, the, someone is going to act differently when they know they're recorded, mm-hmm. like all those different things, like whether or not documentaries ever achieved an unbiased presentation of the facts is up for debate, but that was at least the goal at one point. And I think many of us still have that concept when we turn on a documentary of like, oh, okay, I'm expecting them to be as unbiased and truthful and present everything kind of fairly and squarely, like, and what I'm going to get is the closest approximation to the truth as possible. That's the kind of mindset that we have when we hear the word documentary and turn on a film. I believe, and maybe this is ha- maybe this started well before uh, this, but for me, this was when I became well aware of it. Was when Netflix, one of the first things Netflix started making, when you know Netflix started as just making showing other people's movies. The first thing they started doing before they pr- started producing their full-on Hollywood blockbuster films for their own streaming service was making documentaries. Like the first first movies that they made in-house and produced on their live stream service was documentaries. 
And I remember watching those early Netflix documentaries and saying, I think this is closer to propaganda or a thought opinion piece than it is a documentary. And, and so I think with the advent and success of some of those documentaries and what we currently see, not all documentaries, but many documentaries have a particular goal, slant, opinion, or viewpoint that is kind of unapologetically advocated, edited for, like scripted for. Um, and so when we sit down, when I sit down to watch a documentary any t- anymore, if it's a documentary made within the last 10 to 15 years, I pretty much just assume that this is an opinion piece mm-hmm. uh, that's being edited together to make it as compelling as possible. Right. It's an expose. Yeah. And so, and, and with that, like if you, if you know how to like, if you know how to look for when interview clips are kind of edited together, you can see how things are kind of like, they change the pacing of a thing or they maybe leave out the framing of a question you can begin to watch and find the seams in documentaries and see, oh, uh, maybe this was maybe not altered as so as to be untruthful, but maybe altered to be in such a way as misleading, right? Uh, one of the things that for the Mars Hill podcast that kind of bugged me at times was the inclusion of ominous music underneath what was not necessarily ominous information information yeah right so you know and that was when he decided to do and boom boom, you know it's got some dramatic music or something and that is that is telling you what how to feel and what to think about what's being said and so the inclusion of uh, dramatic music like that like all that is is informing and affecting the way that you are believing and receiving that information yep um you want to see an interesting uh example of this you can go onto youtube and you can say like um movie trailers uh edited to look like horror film or something like that type in something like that and what you can find is like disney movies that have been recut with different music and different transitions in the trailer to make it look like it's a horror scary movie scary movie yeah and you'll be like holy cow, I didn't realize Frozen was absolutely terrifying, right? <laughs> right? And so, and all that is, is just changing the editing style, adding different music, cutting different parts of dialogue to make it sound ominous or scary, right? Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm scared to watch that movie now, right? Because it looks mm-hmm. like that. So that can be done in a documentary piece. So all that, I, wa- I wanted to just throw that out there because that's just like my own personal like media like literacy thing that i just yeah i I think we're largely unaware of that shift in in media in the last several years that's happened yeah well and i it also we also have the dynamic of kind of like natural human tendency to want to rubberneck at train crashes yeah car crashes yes you know to it is we we have a penchant for wanting to view or watch or get in the middle of voyeuristically seeing the calamity of something else. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sure that there are some really like articulated theological um, opinions on why we like to do that. Right. As humans. Is it just more complicated Schadenfreude? 
<laughs> if yeah, I yeah, can yeah. say that German word correctly. Yeah. I don't um, know. Like there it's it's certainly that you know, we there's this sense of like I don't know, maybe we like to see disaster in others because we recognize even at a subconscious level our own like the sinful disaster of our own souls. Mm -hmm. And it makes us feel comforted even for a brief moment to see it reflected somewhere else rather than dealing with it in our own lives. I don't know. Like that that's kind of just made up on the spot there. But yeah. um because you know there I part of the part of the reason that I wanted to watch this one, Shiny Happy People, is because there was a season of life where I was like, I think I even at one of my earliest blogs. Wait, you have a blog? I did. Oh. I do. I st it's still in existence. Are you, you going to delete it after this? You could probably <laughs> go out and find it. <laughs> I think I wrote a blog post titled In Defense of the Duggars. Oh. Which now is quite embarrassing. Sure. But it's also not. Right. Well, because I was, was Yeah, because I was operating off of what I what was presented to me. Mm -hmm. And in the earliest reality shows. They it was presented as here's this conservative, mm -hmm. I would say marginally evangelical theology. I wouldn't really Marge. put them in the evangelical no, camp, so to speak. A little bit more in the fundamental, fundamentalist camp. Fundamentalist yeah. camp. Um, but had a obvious like worldview. Uh, they had an obvious worldview of wanting to live their lives and raise their families the way that they felt or interpreted God desired them to. Yep. And they didn't really care too much about what the world thought about that. Yep. And as a general principle, that's what I want to do too. Yeah. I want to raise my family in a way that I believe God would want me to, uh, with principles that maybe the world doesn't understand, mm -hmm. with decisions that maybe the world can never can never get behind, mm -hmm. uh, and not really care about what those on the outside, proverbial outside, think about how my family looks or what my family does or whatever right. because I'm doing it in like a sense of faithfulness and obedience to God. And yeah. so there was this time period where I was like, yeah, everyone thinks the Duggars are super weird right. and it's super awkward and it's like, how could you ever wear skirts, wear like skirts or not kiss until you're married or yeah. anything like that? And I'm like, yeah, there's things in their life that I'm like, not personally on board with, but I get why they're doing what they're doing. Right. And I, while I don't, wouldn't adopt that particular practice myself, mm -hmm. I thought I had an understanding of why they were making the decisions that yeah. they were making. Well, like it, like 
if that was continued, like if none of the expose or any of the stuff that like we now know had happened, has happened, whatever, if we still, if that was the narrative that we were aware of, I'd probably be in agreement with what you just said. Right. It's only now that there's a fuller understanding of the, of the complete narrative and all the things behind the scenes and all of that, that like that, that stance begins to feel a little bit, um, like embarrassing or hollow maybe because we're like, well now we're unaware of like, it's clear that just like with the documentary had a bias towards a particular slant, that the reality show was not reality. It had a bias towards a particular slant. Yeah. Yeah. And I bought it. Right. Hook, line and sinker. Yeah. You know, so, um, so yeah, I mean like there was a time where I had a sense of like, okay, I, like I'm not going to join the chorus of people who think that these people are crazy. Right. Just cuz I I get it. Not for me, but I get it. Yeah. Well, I think as we're beginning to approach this and I think something maybe another thing to talk about is that like um the law like we live in a society something that everybody says in every podcast we live in a society but um we we live in a culture in a society that has lost the ability for nuance and uh gray everything is either black or white either or you're either for me or you're against me the Mm -hmm. duggars are either the greatest thing in the world since they're proclaiming christ or like displaying a christian lifestyle on uh, cable television on their reality TV show, or they're the worst thing in the world because of like this, this, this. They this, don't let this. their daughters wear pants. Right, right, right. Like we live in it. Like you, you either, like you either have to buy one type of narrative wholesale, or you have to buy the other opposing narrative at wholesale. And I think part of our part of the reason we're even having this conversation is because of a frustration over how the uh, the conversation has been had where there's been no nuance. There's been no, like, there's no, it doesn't seem like there are very many, very many people who are willing to say, look, this isn't an either, or this is not as black and white as perhaps we would like it to be. Mm -hmm. It's not a Superman Mm -hmm. comic where Superman is the good guy. And Lex Luthor is the big, bad corporate guy. And like, Superman's right. Lex Luthor is wrong. It's not that simple. It's not a children's story. It's not a comic book. This is like people complex. It's like not black and white. Right. Right. So, I mean, anyway, the, the documentary itself kind of travels in two different kind of tells two different stories that are really connected to one another. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of the Institute for Basic Life Principles, the IBLP, yes, which was a parachurch ministry of Bill Gothard. Mm-hmm. And it, parallel to that, is the poster family for the IBLP, the Duggars, the Duggars. that everyone knows. Because not many people... No, the the extra layer of IBLP. Yeah, not many people know yeah. Bill Gothard and IBLP. Right. They but, just know the Duggars. Right. Yeah. So, but the two, uh, Nary, can the two be separated? Yeah. 
And so the Institute for Basic Life Principles, um, you know, championed by Bill Gothard and his family, I think it was his father that actually started it, if I remember correctly. Um, essential, their essential message, if you mm-hmm. watch the documentary, their essential message is that is one of authority. Yes. That we, that God has a predetermined authority in creation. Mm-hmm. And that goes from God, and you'll see it several several times in the documentary. It's in their published literature. They take pictures of it and put it on. It's in umbrellas. Umbrella. I I had someone teach this to me once when I was in yeah. high school. Yes. So you have the big umbrella that covers over everything is God mm-hmm. and His authority. Yeah. And then the smaller umbrella that you have is the man. Yes. Or the husband. The husband. Not, not man as in humanity, right, but no, man no. as in male. Father of the household. Father of the household. Yeah. Which leaves no room for singleness, mm-hmm. which Paul said was, was, was a good thing. Was a pretty good thing, right? Yes. We could we do an episode we, on that. We, too. we can get into that. So, um, and then underneath the male or the husband was the woman or the wife. Mm-hmm. And underneath the woman or the wife was the children. Children. Yeah. And those, that was a, it was linear. Mm -hmm. So there was no going around anything. Yep. You know, there was no, um, and, and so. And it creates a, it creates a very strong um, equation between God's authority and what God says and then what your parents say. Or the person above you. Or the person above you. Wherever you you sit in the hierarchy. If if the father has entrusted you to the teacher of the school or, right? Essentially what it does is it it empowers every authority figure in your life with the authority of God. Correct. Which creates a lot of room for abuse. Tremendous room for abuse, which is, I mean, long story short, exactly what happened. Exactly what happened in the IBLP, exactly what happened in the Duggars' home, yep. and what extended out into their oldest son's life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so there's this sense of like, okay, because um, here's the thing, you know, like, do I believe from a biblical perspective that God has thoughts on authority? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can I do whatever I want, whenever I want? Am I a man of my own decisions, even opinions? Well, maybe yes, but I sit under the authority of Christ as my head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do I believe that God has entrusted children to me? Yes. I do. Mm-hmm. Am I responsible for them? Yes. Do I have authority in their lives? Yes, yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe that. Right. Um, so therein lies the first nuance mm-hmm. where the, the narrative in the documentary is, can you believe that the IBLP and the Duggars would promote the idea that you are not independent all into yourself and that there is authority over you. Can The nerve 
of people to be that narcissistic and even you know they there's the equation of authority yeah with abuse yeah they go hand in hand mm-hmm. right and it's not that simple can authority be used in an abusive way to do abusive things absolutely right and even jesus talks about how the gentiles use authority to lord over people mm-hmm. right? right but how his authority is an authority that leads him to serve others right right and so so both of those authority structures doing different things right. um and so it becomes like this story the documentary becomes this story about how those who have bought the idea of authority from the iblp used it have used it only to put to make women subservient to men and to make children subservient to their parents Mm -hmm. and it essentially endows like you said the men of the world with unquestionable authority because to question them means that you're questioning God. God. You're being rebellious. You're sinning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very dangerous. Yeah. Very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see, you see Christ, like Christ says things about even like government authority, right? Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Uh, Paul talks significantly about how we are to like understand God as sovereign over even the sovereign nations of the world, yes. right? And how we are to like interact with governments and all of those things. That the, those those passages exist, but the Bible also holds this thing where it says like uh, abandon your family if they cause you to not follow Christ, um, like. Like Christians were known as yes. being martyrs yes. and political dissidents because they refused to bow to Caesar and consider him a god because yep. there was only one God and he was the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. So we see in the practice of the church, the history of the church, the teachings of the Bible, this understanding that, like, yeah, respect authority as long, but then also, like, but Christ first. Like right. Christ first. Yes. Like there is something that supersedes um, the immediate earthly authority at all points. Right. Right. And and, and that's a that's we got to hold both of those. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the authority of Christ is itself nuanced, not in its ultimacy, but mm-hmm. in its the way in which it's mediated to the world. Mm-hmm. There's there's an authority that Jesus came with when he comes, like Mark chapter 10. I have come uh, not to be served, but to be a servant and mm-hmm. give my life as a ransom for many. That's the he came in that authority. Right. He will also come. Revelation um, speaks very clearly about the authority in which Jesus will return. Yes. Which is a much different authority than as a servant to all. Mm-hmm. He's coming as the wider, the rider on the white horse, right, um, with a sword mm-hmm. and ready to do 
business. Yep. And uh, it's a it's a passage that gives me goosebumps every time I read it. Right. And so authority is is a very deeply held principle within yeah. scripture. Right. Uh, and and we ought to the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We ought to know how to submit to the authority of the Lord and to the natural authority of others in our lives. Yeah. But again, not to a wholesale place in which we allow them to abuse us or that they become God or they yeah. become there is one mediator between God and man, and that's yeah. Christ. Right. No one else. Yeah. I think the question sometimes comes. Uh, sometimes, and maybe we talked about this before. We might have, or it might have just been in a private conversation. I don't know. But talking about like, well, why? Like, because we have this really individualistic. Yeah. Um, I am the captain of my own ship. I am the master of my own soul. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Um, Island unto myself. Right. And why would I want to follow? a God that demands that I like am submit, submit to him. Right. What is happening when we ask that question? Well, here's my take on it. Yeah. Is that we take the ways in which the world men and women in our lives who are sinful Mm -hmm. have used authority sometimes in the authority in the name of God mm-hmm. to lord over us and to victimize us and to create trauma in our lives, right? And so we have this experience with authority that creates significant pain mm-hmm. in us. And then we encounter a God who says, um, you know, essentially like you – like no uncertain time uh, uncertain terms like i am the authority in your life Mm -hmm. i am your god you are not you are not a god unto yourself what does the clay have to say to the potter exactly Mm -hmm. right um and we immediately say well it's the same kind of authority that that the authority of god in my life Mm -hmm. creates the same victimization to me than the authority, ill-used authority of men and women yep. in our lives. And, and it is categorically different mm-hmm. in the same way that justice and revenge is different. Yes. Right? Why does the Lord say, do not repay evil for evil? You know, um, I will avenge. I will bring revenge. Well, why can God get revenge and I can't? Because he's God. Because he's God, <laughs> right? And because he's perfect in every way, right? And we we use both revenge and authority only, not only, but we use it. It We can't escape our sinful use mm-hmm. because we are sinful people yeah. of those things, yeah. right? God approaches it. And uses it with a perfectly holy approach, mm-hmm. right? And so every authority that he exerts 
he is the only one that is worthy to exert the authority because he is the creator and sustainer of all things. We we use the opportunity to try and become gods unto ourselves again. Right. right? We we're again, right, we're 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 recommitting the sin of the garden. Adam and Eve um sit with God in the garden in perfect communion with him. They like for for a long time the tree of good and evil the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a confusing concept for me and maybe is for you for anyone who's listening but like why would god withhold the knowledge of good and evil well he was he was acting as the arbiter of good and evil he was the one who set the standard of what was right what was good what was shameful what was not and adam and eve were sitting underneath that and their decision to say, no, we want that knowledge for ourselves. We want to be the moral judges for ourselves to make the decisions of what is good, what is right, what is evil, um, was a decision to step out from underneath of that and to say, well, no, we can be gods unto ourselves. We have now become uh, like God and arbiters of what is right, what is wrong, what is wise, what is unwise. But the thing is, is that they were bad arbiters of it. Mm-hmm. They choose. They call what they called something ugly, beautiful. They mm. called what was beautiful ugly. Right? Like God obviously had different opinions about their nakedness uh, mm-hmm. than they decided to have once they'd eaten the tree. Mm-hmm. And 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 so when we ha- take authority and we misuse it, when we when we have authority or um, opportunity or anything like that. And we do not use that opportunity to be like Christ to someone. Yes. We have then decided, you know what? My own decision and arbitration yeah. of good and right and yeah. evil. My own use of authority is the correct right. one. We are once again eating from that tree of knowledge yes. and saying like, I know what's right. Mine is right. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, no, how can I be Christ to a person? Yeah. How can I be grace, love, and embody what Christ has been to me, to others. Like if you do that, like you're going to end up much better place than if you're trying to be, you know, what do I think is right? And what is the right thing for to, to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I, yeah, there's an, I don't, I don't know that there's a more hard hearted and I guess in my own mind, illogical, position to hold than to hold the position of if God does not bend to my idea of what authority in my own life is, then I he's not worth following. Mm-hmm. Well, we want a God of our own making. We want a God of our own making. So it's like, well, if if that's the way that God thinks, I'm done with him. then I'm not going to follow him. Well, right. like, that's a really bad plan. Right, because if you have enough sense to, if you have enough sense to know that there is a God, mm-hmm. and have a belief that He has created all things and that He is the basis for all existence, whether you align with that sense of ethics or morality or authority or submission or whatever it is, is inconsequential to the reality. That the God of all that there's a God that has created all things that that without Him you do not live or move or have being mm-hmm. at all. So to say, I know that there is a God, 
who is supreme, but I'm choosing to say, no, you're not doing it right, so I'm not going to follow you, is even outside of a Christian perspective, just a logically like fool-hearted, hard-hearted thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what like wh- I don't I don't think that God is very moved by the bluff of well if that's how you are I'm not following you then right yeah I don't think God's like well okay I'll change then well because it makes you God right you know so it, it's a okay so back to the documentary back to the documentary so. So there's that one, which I think is a very big, big theme, right? Well, um, it is the major theme, I think. Like, yeah. Of of just like that. Um, I think it's a I think it's a IBLP thing is is like that first time obedience that like um, a lot of just authority structure um, obedience inside of the household. Um, very high moral standard. Um, yeah, there's some really disturbing examples not caricatures but like actual videos of iblp proponents pastors preachers like showing how to spank a child on stage at a church yeah um yeah and and like you know and like demanding obedience the first time and if not you know like it becomes a matter of sin matter of well both a matter of sin but now like Okay, there's physical correction that must come along side of every instance of disobedience. Otherwise, the child will rebel up into adulthood and become become apostate. Apostate, yeah. (laughs) Not follow Christ anymore. Right. Um, And the, um, you know, one of the more significant themes or threads within that whole movement is. I mean, like it is the it typifies a super super one side one side of the spectrum um, example of purity culture. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I, I so I have again I haven't watched the documentary, but I'm familiar with IBLP because of people I've interacted with in my life who have been severely affected by IBLP. So like I have some secondhand experience or knowledge of it. Yeah. Um, That's where my, that's where some of my responses and reactions are coming. Well, and so if you watch, if you'd ever watched like any of the, the Duggar documentaries before this one or not documentaries, reality shows, you, you saw kind of the outworking of that purity culture, right? There's no kissing before you're married you know, no time, zero time spent alone. You had to go, like you had chaperones on every date you went on or every interaction. And it wasn't a, and it wasn't a dating culture. It was a courtship culture where the, essentially the father approved the daughter's suitor. Yeah. And And until they're, until they're married, they're under the father's authority, no matter how old they are. Right. Which leads to young women who are in their early twenties yet yet to be wed or engaged who can't go do anything because their dad doesn't let them. Right. Like, um, I know of families that ha- that happened. Yes. Then, so, yeah. And so, you know, that, and then, and then, so certainly like just imagine even the type of like culture that that creates around 
conversations of sexuality, mm-hmm. of relationships, yeah. of um, you know all, all all that's associated there. And then it's like I, I don't I don't know that one necessarily necessitates the other, but the instances of sexual abuse and victimization of people in that type of culture seem proportionately very high. Well, what, what there's a correlation there. Like I know studies have proven that. And, and what I think it is, is it's, is it's not so much, um, how do I, how do I want to say this? Uh, this is kind of tricky to say because of what purity culture means. But it's not necessarily purity culture. It's the shame and guilt of purity culture and like the tabooness and the guilt, the shame, the lack of education, lack of uh, informed decisions, trust, uh, clarity, uh, honesty, accountability, all of those things that is fostered by kind of a very simplistic one note conversation that purity culture has. Mm -hmm fosters all of those other things. And those other things I think are what create the, the instances of abuse yep. of um, sexual misconduct yep. and all of that. That's how I would frame that. That might be kind of weird to say that I don't think it's purity culture, but what I'm saying is that purity culture is like what it produces. It's a tributary it's of a it. It's a tributary for, of it. Yeah. So sure. I'm kind of splitting a bit of a hair there, yeah. but I just, I, I want to, I, th- I think it's more specific to say not just purity culture. It's the guilt, the shame, the like all of those things mm-hmm. that come with purity culture mm-hmm. that really funnel into that, right. into that circumstance, at least from my vantage point. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the documentary ends up, you know, cataloging um, some of the um, more public examples of, uh, sort of look for sexual victimization that happened yeah. with the IBLP leader Bill Gothard himself. Yeah, which I know some of. Right, and then on a more granular granular view, what was happening within the specific family of the Duggars, which is, I think I felt, you know, so I have the personality where I am like a a justice driven person. And I, I, I feel like the need for justice when people are victimized, um, like very strongly, it's visceral to me. Mm -hmm. And so I felt both like extraordinarily saddened by what I heard and by what they went through Mm -hmm. and the victims of that, like just, Oh my gosh heartbroken and angry, super, super, super angry. Mm -hmm. Um, And just a whole slew of emotions all wrapped up in the, also the reality of the knowledge that there are a thousand and one things that I don't know about how it was handled and how it was not handled. Mm-hmm. Who knew and who didn't know. Yeah. What they said and what they didn't say. Yeah. What maybe they did 
because they thought it was the right thing, but it actually versus doing it because they had a sense of like, well, I, you know, like mm-hmm. that they, you know, you know a, a lot of times, very rarely do people do something that they know is the wrong thing. They no they one, they make excuses for why it's the right thing to do what they did. No one wants to be the villain in the story, right? And so it was like, what? So just so, so trying to wrap my head around thinking, what was the rationalization in your mind for why that was the right decision? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like telling your daughters mm-hmm. that being sexually victimized. Um, was something that was not a big deal and that they didn't really need to worry about going forward. Right. Um, and then on the other side, like what was the conversation with their eldest son, Josh, who's yep. now, I mean, I think most people know that, you know, Josh um, was convicted of possession and uh, – I don't know if it was just possession or if it was also like not, not production or but like the sharing of child pornography. I don't, I don't know. know. But anyway, was found to be in possession of child pornography is now serving, serving a 12-year sentence, which is, mm-hmm. if you're asking me, not long enough. But who am I? At? You know, like justice is right. the Lord's. Um, and, and, and I think a lot – one of the big questions that the documentary, I think, wanted to lead us to, or not a question, but a conclusion that they yeah. wanted to lead us to was, you see, the IBLP created someone who traffics in child pornography, which is, I think, really unfair to those who were in the IBLP and think – at the same time, this is disgusting behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not there wasn't a nuance there. No. It was only association, right, towards the guilty. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I so I've watched maybe 10, 15 minutes of the documentary for like, it was on when I came home one night, and I was just like, I the episode was ending. And I was just, I can't watch more of this because yeah. I was just getting angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I just was like, yeah. I need to wind down for the day and I can't, I can't stand to watch it. Um, and again, it's a, we're back to this desire to make things black and white, mm-hmm. to make them unnuanced, either or villain, white hat, black hat, good guy, bad guy. Right. Um, and, it's just like that whole situation from beginning to end was just absolutely mishandled. Mm-hmm. No one's disagreeing, I think, or arguing that point. Yeah. But I think the broad brush strokes that we want to paint everybody with as like evil is just not, it's not fair. Mm. I don't think that's right. Um, Talk a little bit more about that. Well, so like, okay, so again, I haven't watched the whole documentary. I know the general brushstrokes of the story of Josh, the oldest son of the Duggars. But, like, um, 
I think that there's, uh, when it comes to most, particularly the news coverage that I've always heard and seen, uh, and everything kind of talking about that, kind of uses languages language and paints him as only a, like, you know, villain. Like, as, as someone who's done something absolutely reprehensibly evil. Now, again, what I'm not saying is that what he did was fine, excusable, like inconsequential. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that his possession and sharing of pornography, like, is, like, totally reasonable or understandable and should just be excused, right? Absolutely not. Again, I'm entering into the gray here. I'm doing something that not very many people, I don't think, do. And I'm kind of nervous doing because it's a thing that nobody does. And when people try and do it, they get lamb blasted. Um, But at the same time, we also need to look at the story of him and realize that like when he began to, uh, I think, uh, sexually assault or um, his his siblings, he was at the age of 12, I believe, which is like either very, very early puberty. And if we're talking, he grew up in this hyper purity culture where it's fair to assume he either got little to no sexual education. Mm-hmm. Um, and his behavior was not handled appropriately. It wasn't taken to like the correct professionals. Right. Um, Cause they're talking about like, I, they sent him away for like a summer. They sent him away for a summer to work at a camp. There was they tried scare tactics, trying to trying to threaten sending him to prison. But I was like, but he's a minor, right? And and what he's doing because of like his understand, like it's so debatable about his understanding of sexuality, what is right and wrong in sexuality. Yeah. All of that is so ambiguous. Well, and is and what like his his understanding of authority. I'm a male. Right. I have authority. Exactly. I can do like, yeah, exactly. And so all of that, I'm like, is a is is he as a child, because that's what he was, as culpable as a full-grown adult who knows who has an understanding of sexuality, right and wrong. Like, um, and when and when that and when you begin to view him as, you know, uh, I'm a big advocate of this, and and this is something that, like, a lot of people really, really struggle with, particularly when it comes to issues of abuse, is when this language loves to come out. There's no such thing as a monster. Mm. I mean, that's that's my, like, that's it's a pretty hard conviction. There's people do monstrous things, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to go so far as to say that someone is inhuman. Or that mm-hmm. someone at because the Bible doesn't sh- yeah. tell us that someone at some point becomes no longer a image bearer of God. Right. We're all created in the image of God. We're all bestowed with some level of dignity and humanity. Yes. That's basis for Christian morality. Like, and so people do monstrous things. They do absolutely horrendous things. Yes. They absolutely align themselves with like evil, with Satan, do ter- terrible things, and are deserving of justice. Yes. But they do not cease to be human. Mm-hmm. They do not cease to lose the inherent dignity. And when we begin to take people down a peg and say that they are monsters, 
that they are somehow subhuman because of what they have done. We are undermining a whole lot of theology, morality, mm. and and so that's a really hard line to hold. It is. Particularly yeah. emotionally, because we want to just say that right. someone's a monster. Yeah. And I think my my thought is that like we need to guard ourselves and not just view him the oldest son of the Duggars, Josh, as a monster, but we need to seek some level of understanding as well. Yeah. Um, not to, again, excuse. Not to excuse. Not no. to release of, like, culpability. Because I'm also not of the persuasion that, well, if we just understand someone's story and all the factors and the reasonableness of their decisions that, like, oh, well, then, like, okay, we can excuse them of that. No, I believe that we still have choices that we make. Right, even though there's all of these circumstances, and I think he's probably a victim of his own type of abuse and uh, neglect, and um, that his that his family put him through, that has led him down a particular path, and resulted in certain things being in his heart. Um, he still also has agency. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, I, like he still made choices. He still made choices. That that's a thing. Is like when we get. As much as like I'm, a, I'm an advocate for um, mental health and psychology and all of those things being incorporated in the faith and, and all of that. One of the unhelpful side effects of some of that language and some of the things is that we've, well, by empathizing and understanding, we can come to a place where we see that they're no longer morally culpable. Like they're just a consequence of the things that happened to them or their effects or the yeah. disorders. Like, no. No. Agency still exists. Yep. Right. 100%. So if I can just trying to venture that out into the gray a little bit and say, like, yeah, essentially the earliest example that we have of Josh walking down this pathway of like, this is not okay, not okay behavior, where those responsible for him were in, here's your language, authority over him. Mm hmm extraordinarily mishandled in his upbringing. Right. His education, his context, his, all of these things. Um, that that there is, you know, that it is a part of the story. It's a part of the it's story. It's a part of the story. We're not going to say that, you know, it's, it's causing anything or not causing something else, right. only to say that, like, what he did was horrendous. Mm-hmm. The story is very complex. Yeah. Um, the culture that he lived in was not favorable mm-hmm. to a strong therapeutic response at the age of 12, which is what he needed. Right. Um, and whether or not the lack of proper response produced what happened later in his life. I don't know that anyone can say. Nobody I think can say that. Causation versus correlation. Right. Uh, who knows? Contributing factor. Right. Like, right. But he still has agency. He still has agency. Because and I'm, as an adult with who's married and has children. Yeah. I'm, know, I'm what, not willing. I'm not willing right. to dehumanize him enough either to remove agency and choice. Correct. From him, yeah. Right. Because you could dehumanize him two ways. <laughs> right. Yeah. By making him just a unsympathetic. Uh, monster, or also by just making him into like a 
you know, totally understandable, inevitable consequence of the things that happened to him with no agency. Right. Both of those results in something that's less than human. Right. Right. So. Um, and I think it's, and I, and, and the reason I, I, I even venture to say all of that at all is because of like just an awareness that inside of like inside of very hyper conservative Christian families where sex is not well taught, we're taught about at all, we're educated that like things like that or adjacent to that or misunderstandings, shame, all the stuff that kind of happens when you have children coming of age beginning to understand sexuality with zero helpful direction sometimes things happen and things like that happen often at a higher correlation inside of conservative Christian families than outside. Yeah. And so it's worth saying that I think it's worth venturing out and saying like, this is not necessarily, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know who's going to hear this podcast and what everybody's history and experience with all of that is. And so I think it is worth venturing out into that and saying like, and holding, I don't know, holding a little bit of space for the the difficulty of all of that and the the nuance of that. Yeah, the difficulty of walking a hard line all the time. Yes. Yeah. And so that's that's what I think, and I, I think that's worth doing because I think people might. I don't know. I know lots of people who've grown up in circumstances like that with sexuality was taught in a purity puritanical way. And there's lots of things that happen inside of that, yeah. that bear long-term consequences on people's right. lives. If you're one of those people, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Genuinely and um, compassionately. So sorry for your experience and what you, what you endured and what you uh, may have gone through or may not have gone through um, because of it. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I think that's probably a good part point to stop today. Yeah. It's not the most uplifting or conclusive yeah. place to leave, but yeah. that's probably where we should end the conversation for now. As always, you know, we'd love for you to comment. Uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, it's easy to comment there. Uh, you can watch the, this podcast or listen to this podcast and all the normal places. We also have a texting line where you can text us questions or even comments on the particular podcast episodes that you listen to. 716-201-0507 is the number to text us. And uh, we, uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, if you wouldn't mind liking it, sharing it, um, or subscribing, that would be really helpful for us. And we'll catch you on the next one. See you next time.